This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me again today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Judy Cho and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have my own private practice and I work with clients to get to root cause healing. And oftentimes that is healing the gut and using a meat based elimination diet. This episode is sponsored by Carnivore Cure. If you have not read Carnivore Cure, it is the carnivore manual to start a carnivore diet and use a meat based elimination diet to get to root cause healing. If you like colored graphics and If you are visual, make sure to check out Carnivore Cure because there are over 150 colored graphics that will help support your meat based diet. Okay, so many of you guys may have heard, but there is a study right now that's trying to get published that is on carnivore and how it can heal SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Dr. Peter Martin and the FunMed Clinic team worked hard to get their preprint into the BMC Gastroenterology Journal. So I'm very excited. I was able to sit down with Dr. Peter Martin and talk about the study and what it all means for carnivore. We got into a lot. Of gut health specifics, so I hope it doesn't get too sciencey for you guys. But more than anything, I hope it shows you that you can get to root cause healing and gut health with a meat based elimination diet. Peter Martin is a Swedish medical doctor and he has a PhD in CNS pharmacology. Peter Martin also has worked in hospitals and has done primary care, but found functional medicine to be most beneficial for his patients. Peter is a leader in the functional medicine space in Sweden. I will put all his contact information in the show notes, and you can also find the link to his study in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into the conversation. Hi, Peter. How's it going?、Um, thank you so much for joining me today. If you don't mind sharing your story, your profession, what you do、um, with the people that are watching. Yeah. Hi, Judy. Good to be here. Good to be with your community. Talking about carnivore. I'm an MD, PhD. I have a PhD in CNS pharmacology. So I actually spent 15 years in pharmaceutical research、uh, before switching to functional medicine. And that was in 2014. So I 
started one of the first functional medicine clinics in Sweden uh, back then. And I worked by myself for a few years, but now we are trying to grow the business and we are, I have, can almost not keep up with the numbers, but we are eight doctors and 11 health coaches right now. So it's really fun. I reached out to you because you um, had a study that's, I believe it's still in preprint. Um, it's not peer-reviewed, correct? Is that? That's um, correct. So it's not, stu- it's not published yet, but uh, it's, it's accepted uh, for uh, from BMC Gastroenterology uh, for as a preprint. So that's a good step. But now we're waiting for the review process. And I, I heard that review can be a little bit uh, slower in Corona times. So right. we'll see. Do you think you'll have any trouble with the peer reviews? Um, you know, because obviously it's not a traditional or conventional. Um, it's not a conventional protocol to use carnivore, but do you see any kind of uh, blocks in the way because of it? Mm, I think it's a relevant question. And also, um, there might be two two different questions. One is SIBO can be a, a, a kind of controversial issue in itself, for some people at least, even if even if there are about, I found the last time I, I looked for, it was like 1,600 different studies on SIBO in PubMed. So it's getting a lot of traction. And we actually had a webinar this week in Sweden, in Swedish, our language. And it was almost 3,000 people listening to a webinar, an open webinar, uh, talking about SIBO. So, so we are trying to get the word out there. But regarding carnivore, of course, this is this is even more controversial. And uh, uh, of course, we we don't know what happens. But I think, as we'll discuss, the study is very logical. Uh, right. If you look at the background for where we come from when we decided to try this in the clinic, which is we tried carnivore for for SIBO. Yeah. So let's get right into the study. I looked into it. It's um in. I really liked your study because like you said, it was very um, straightforward. It's very simple to kind of just follow. So tell us a little bit about the study and, you know, what you found, um, how'd you find the patients and I mean, what were they kind of eating? Mm. Yeah. First I have to point out that many people think it's, it is a study, but it wasn't a study. It's actually a case report. So we only, so it's kind of a case study then, but, uh, we only report what happened to six of our patients. So it's not uh, looking forward. It was look, we only look um, what happened to the patients. So we had uh, patients coming in from 2018 in the autumn, the fall. I, I learned about carnivore. I didn't know anything about it until then. There was a doctor coming to visit me from our functional medicine clinic in Stockholm and he told me about this crazy new diet that people were eating and I didn't believe him at first and then I started to look into it I'm kind of a curious guy I call myself a a curious skeptic but I looked into it and it yeah started to make sense and then why not try it because what we see in our clinic is SIBO, it's actually small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's a very common condition underlying many, many different uh, 
uh, disease uh, states and symptoms. And it's tricky to diagnose. It's tricky to work with since we can't get into the small intestine. And in the small intestines, we are supposed to to uh, digest and absorb 90% of all the nutrients, you know, and we have perhaps 50, 60% of our immune system is there and almost every chronic disease is coupled to some kind of chronic low-grade inflammation that might actually come from the immune system in the small intestine. So it makes a lot of sense that we know that by working with SIBO and trying to get rid of SIBO, this bacteria that has overgrown in the in the small intestine, in this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, then we can get people well. Uh, on, and how do we actually treat SIBO then? Well, I see it this way. I don't know if you agree, but that there there were four ways of treating SIBO, but now there is five. So, so the, the first way is to, to give antibiotics that actually kill the bacteria in, in the small intestine. It works well, especially in, well, you have to direct the right antibiotic to the right state. So if you have hydrogen, hydrogen dominant SIBO, you, you can often treat it with Cifaxan or rifaximin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have methane uh, gas, SIBO, then you often use, perhaps uh, in, in the States, you use uh, rifaximin plus uh, neomycin, which we don't have. We don't have neomycin in Sweden. Oh. No, so we can use metronidazole in, instead, which also works pretty well. So that's one way, antibiotics. The second way is using herbal antimicrobials like berberine and allicin and uh, oregano oil and neem and those. And you have lots of different uh, preparations and uh, very good uh, treatments in the U.S. We have less in Sweden, but, but it, we can do that as well. And uh, the third one is water fast which is just starving the bacteria. So you probably have to do it for 10, 10, 14 days. And I haven't had many people do that, obviously, because it's kind of demanding. And if you have ill people, I wouldn't ask them to, to water fast for 10, 12, 12, 14 days, and especially not if they're underweight. Um, but recently I actually had... I had a few people do it in the past and just the last weeks I had two more people that have done it. So now I'll get some results uh, to look at for, for SIBO and see if, if the water first erased that. I don't know. Have you seen, have, have you, do you, do you even work with the SIBO? Like, I, I do. Um, so most of my clients, they have tried some of the antibiotics. Um, and I think the underlying um, mechanism seems to be that if they don't change their diet, the SIBO will eventually come back or, you know, they'll see benefits um, through the breath test uh, by using the antibiotics. But or if they use like the herbals, like their stronger herbals, like the candibactin, um, I forgot what the kind of makeup of it is, but there's a bunch of herbals you can use. Um, mm. And um, I followed, I don't know if you know Alison Seebecker, but I followed a lot of her work. And so she has like this whole diagram of how you can follow how to support SIBO. But for her, it's a lot of the antibiotics or the kind of herbal um, forms 
And then it's the either like you or I know you're going to mention the elemental diet, but it's either the elemental. And then I was like, well, why don't we just use the carnivore diet? Right. So that's why I f- fell in love with your study. Um, but in terms of fasting, um, I guess uh, I, do- I haven't really used that as the mechanism because I feel that carnivore has been so successful with my clientele. I um, mean, you know, they've used some of the antibiotics, but I use more of the herbal route just because I'm more holistic. But in mm. general, if I use some um, immunoglobulins, um, some pretty like heavy spore probiotics and other versions of probiotics, and with the diet, I've seen results that they may not even have to use the herbals, which I go that route first, instead of attacking the body, I try to support it. So mm. I don't use the fasting method. Um, I just think, like you said, it's so intense, intense. And if you use a high fat carnivore version, like a ketogenic state, so you're not overly consuming protein, but you kind of use the fat mechanism. I also see benefits where it's fast mimicking, right? So you don't necessarily have to do the water fast, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak to the water fast. Only a few, few cases. I especially rem- remember one lady that was overweight uh, and she wanted to lose weight and she had a high methane level of about mm-hmm. 70 ppm. That's quite a high methane yeah. level. And you know that that can be, it can be coupled to constipation and it can mm-hmm. also be hard to treat. So it can take a long time to get rid of it. Right. Uh, but uh, she water fasted for 14 days and it was all gone in 14 days. Oh, okay. So that, was, yeah, that makes and, sense. And she also lost weight. So that was a very effective and very cheap way of treating it. Do you fasting. know, do you know if she started eating food and it reappeared or anything, or if she changed her diet afterward? Mm. Yeah, that's a common question. I, and uh, I think if you, as long as you go back to, to your old diet or something similar to it, there is always a risk right. to get your SIBO back. So I think we can we can speak more about that later and how you can keep it in check. Yeah. Um, and the, so let's move on to the elemental light. You already mentioned it. Yeah, and and I, I understand perhaps you don't use it as much yeah. since you use the carnivore diet, but the elemental light is, is similar to water fast, but since it's about really starving the bacteria in the small intestine. Uh, And you do that without starving yourself by giving yourself a powder of amino acids and also fat. Either you eat amino acids and you drink fat or you have special preparations like powders uh, that you can buy. I've done that a few times. I've done it myself, uh, homemade uh, elemental diet, and it's not that palatable. It's many patients can't stand it. They they can't just do it all. They can do a few days and then they stop. So mm, even though it's very effective, it's like 80% of, uh, of the SIBO cases uh, have a benefit, a big benefit from elemental diet. So it's great, but hard to do. Right. So, so then when this diet came along, the, the, the carnivore diet, I mean, it's, it's very easy to, to think that, well, it's no carbs. It's no fiber, at least not if you don't count the, the collagenous fiber or the, uh, yeah, that kind of thing that we, we know that bacteria can live also from other stuff than the fiber and the carbs. Right. But, right. 
So we just tried it. And uh, first case was a 22-year-old, I think she was. Uh, she had, and she's part of the paper, first patient in the paper. And she, I never, I never talk people into doing a certain thing in my clinic. I very humble and uh, just want to have well-informed uh, clients. And if they're well-informed, they are smart and can take their own decisions. So regarding diet, I can, I never say that I prescribe a diet. I always just, the, my patients choose what to eat, but it's based on, on uh, for I hopefully good information and that they understand why they do, can do different things and try different things. So she decided to try a carnivore diet and she did it. She was, she was supposed to do it for four weeks, but she did it for six weeks because it was Christmas time and the SIBO test lab was closed. So it was six weeks and it eradicated the overgrowth in the small intestine. But she actually still had a, a rise uh, after two hours in this test, which could indicate that there was still bacteria in the large intestine. So that was so successful. So after that, we've done it quite a lot of times. And it's not that it's not a study, as I told you, it's just that some some people, they, they choose to do this. And then we've, for the paper, we picked those patients where we could really trust that they did it well. Mm-hmm. They performed their diet well. And we also had uh, test results before and after. You know, working clinically, it's not always that people do exactly what what you, they're supposed to do. I mean, life can, life can be <laughs> tricky sometimes. Mm. So you had, um, from your notes, uh, patient three took Zyfaxin and then they had still some of the SIBO. Why do you think the antibiotics didn't work for that particular person? Oh, that's a good question. And I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And the, the fun thing was that I, I really scratched my head because she had a high high SIBO curve to start with. It was kind of 120 or something PPM in hydrogen. So I was going to be smart. So I gave her five weeks of Cifaxan, five weeks to start with. That's not what I usually do, but I thought that this is hydrogen predominant. Now I'm going to be really smart and nothing happened for five weeks. Yeah, and that's that's why uh, I often tell my patients we should not treat for five weeks or eight weeks with the herbal antimicrobials or so. No, you need to do retest SIBO more often than that to really know that you're on track and that you're doing something good. Um, so, so it was really fantastic to see this SIBO curve come come down after just two weeks of. Um, of the carnivore diet. And uh, I mean, that was not too hard to do for her. Right. Do you, when they are doing the carnivore diet, do you prescribe any supplements? So like maybe digestive enzymes, some hydrochloric acid to kind of help with, you know, the whole digestive process, because sometimes, I mean, we didn't really talk about how SIBO happens, but sometimes it starts from just having not enough um, hydrochloric acid in the stomach and then maybe there could be an overgrowth of H. pylori, and then it just kind of goes downstream. So um, for any of your, you know, your practice, do you support them with um, upper GI support, digestive enzymes, proteolytic mm. enzymes? 
Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yes. Yeah, we we have a wide um, lab test panel okay. to start with, with all our patients. It's kind of, you know, I, I worked in pharmaceutical industry oh, okay. so long and, and research. So I, I like a structured process and it, we have a very structured process, okay. which, you, which can be pros and cons about that. It costs uh, quite a lot of money to do that, but you also get a lot of data for each patient. And, you know, functional medicine is so new in Sweden and we are very much um, leaning towards the conventional medicine and biologic, um, well, kind of old old school medicine. Not So when when I come here and try to spread functional medicine, I really need the data to convince anyone that I'm not just a quack. Yeah, no, I get it. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... I mean, it's getting easier because we are now so many people doing it and we are just having so many patients reporting that they are getting fabulously much better after long term on sick leave and so on. So, But we need the data. So we have a lot of data on all the patients. That means that we know that they have um, nutrition, uh, nutritional deficiencies. We know that they got sometimes, you know, low... Um, pancreatic elastase Mm -hmm. and fat malabsorption and those things. So uh, these patients often have some kind of multivitamin, um, B vitamins. Oh, yeah. And I I think about it like this, that if you were perfectly healthy and you wanted to perform a carnivore diet for one month, it's no problem. You could do that. Uh, if, If you're ill like most of our patients are in some way and have been for a long time and they've uh, been tortured by the western society lifestyle uh, for many years uh, hmm they might not it, it might not suffice su- suffice with the nutrition that you get from the meat and the even if you eat liver and so on so i think in those cases it's not wrong to give them extra nutrition also, they have uh, malabsorption many times uh, as we measure, and um, you can see that they don't absorb everything that they put in their mouth. Most people that I work with are already carnivore or are keto, or they've heard of carnivore, and so there's no one that's following like the standard American diet. And mm. they only work with me because I'm not a weight loss coach. Um, I my rates are nowhere near just you know losing weight. It's not like a one hour session that type of thing, but they've all tried carnivore because, you know, standard care did not work for them and they're just sick. They're not sleeping through the night. They're not absorbing their nutrients. Their energy is really low. And so I start them on just doing like a symptom burden, a questionnaire to figure out their symptoms. 
And a lot of it is gut related. And even though they've been carnivore for like six months, eight months, they still have the loose stools, they're still not doing well. And then Mm. it's like requires them to work with me use maybe some of the supplements, some probiotics, whether it's the digestive enzymes, Um, sometimes it's just a small intestinal support some of the herbs that work for that um, more in a supportive rather than a kind of a a chelation, not that type. Um, But I still have those too. But in general, like that's how they get better. And then also changing the macros, um, not just focusing on beef, but also using fish because there are nutrients that aren't only in beef that may be in fish or in pork. I agree. So from all of my clients, like I wouldn't have a practice if meat only just worked because all of my clients, it doesn't work. And so that's when they're like, okay, I'm going to work with you to refine it because I just don't feel good as much as these stories that I've heard. Yeah, I really think that this is evolutionarily a very sound way of eating, at least for, for a while or for a part of the year or wherever wherever you lived, it might have been that. But right. uh, we have to figure out who is it not for and at what times of life and and what why does some people not feel so good or get right. chronic diarrhea for uh, months or so? So what do you do if someone has uh, chronic diarrhea, but they can feel better on a carnivore diet, but still have the diarrhea? What do you do then? So I have every single client of mine, and it depends. So if they do like an initial consult with me, I have them fill out this, um, I think it's like 500 questionnaire, uh, 500 questions. And so that that kind of maps out for me, you know, where they may, may need more support. So some people, it's the upper GI, some people, it's the liver gallbladder, then the small intestine, and then the large intestine, um, there's like fatty acids, minerals, and obviously, it's not exact, because it's just a questionnaire, it could be biased. If they have blood work, I can look at that. Um, I don't have all my clients pay for a bunch of tests, because honestly, not all of them can afford that. But I'd love mm. that, right? If they had the organic acids test, and then the like breath test, and if they had that, I mean, I offer all of it. It's just, it's a mm. lot to ask someone. But so I yes. go off that and normally the people that have loose stools, the gut health area has specifics that need more support. And then based off that, I'll recommend certain supplements. So if it's the upper GI, it'll be some more like um, the betaine hydrochloric acid. It could be some lipase if it's like the liver gallbladder. Um, it could be just some gallbladder support. So it's just like nutrients that support the liver or the gallbladder. Maybe it's um, maybe the liver is not detoxing as well. So it's you know not able to handle the excess fat or that they haven't been eating a lot of fat. And so now all of a sudden eating a lot of fat causes their bile to be really sludgy or not work. And then, you know, you see like the, um, the loose stools or you see stools that are floating or like that are clay color. And so that's like the first defense is a really basic one of just support the upper GI liver gallbladder, and then maybe some probiotics, immunoglobulins, and then um, changing their macros. So that's the first step I do. And then for most people that helps tremendously, but then there are mm-hmm still some that don't. And then we look kind of into, okay, so is it maybe a histamine response? Maybe your your immune system's overreacting. And so then we may modify the macros, even certain foods, right? So certain clients, if they're having a really bad histamine response, uh, we cut the ground beef because for some reason, ground beef causes them to have more loose stools. So there's mm. a bit of that, um, but it really varies. I think in general, those kind of supports seem to help more, but I've never had to have a client go, okay, you actually need some fiber 
to stop the loose stools. What about you? What have you done in your practice for um, clients that have loose stools? You know, I don't work uh, exclusively with carnivore as, as perhaps you do. So yeah. I, I, I haven't that much uh, fiddled around with different solutions to it. I just started to more like now to, oh, because I, to, to be honest, I think if someone did this for six weeks and they had continuously lo- loose stools uh i might have tested you know hydrochloric acid and uh, and enzymes uh now i heard from elliot overton that vitamin c in i think it was two to four grams and that could could uh dissolve the problem or yeah i've um So it's interesting, there is a kind of powder supplement that I recommend to some of my clients that are overly constipated, and it's a large dose of vitamin C. So I actually don't use vitamin C if it's a loose stool thing. Now, vitamin C can support the adrenals and support kind of loose stools in a different way, but I don't think it's that it will stop. So I don't know if the vitamin C is the most beneficial. I haven't seen that in my practice. And I mean, I work with most carnivores and it's most like 95% of my carnivores are, um, are, are gut related. Mm, uh, And I I was a little bit surprised that he uses at high doses of vitamin C because he, he's also talked a lot. Oxalates, right? Yeah. That it feeds the glyoxalate pathway. If you take too much ascorbic acid too. So I am surprised by that too. Yeah. But that is an awesome, I think, these two things that have uh, come at the same time, at least for me, I mean, carnivore and oxalates, they go hand in hand in one yeah, way. Totally do. And many patients, actually, I talked to patients just before coming here an hour ago that uh, obviously was having just too many uh, almonds and uh, sweet potatoes and so on. So, And she had a... a uh, what was it called? Uh, stone. Uh, a gla- kidney stone? Kidney stone. Yeah, yeah. Kid- kidney stone uh, uh, two, three years ago. So, you know, then calcium oxalate. In right. About 80% of those. So she, I got her onto the, onto tra- the track that this might be an oxalate issue that she has. She has lots of mental issues and so on. And what's interesting is if you look at that whole oxalate pathways cycle, if you have candida or some overgrowth of fungal or um, some gut issues, if you have a higher propensity of feeding the oxalate pathway, and then if you're taking vitamin C or you're taking excess uh, bone broth or collagen, so the hydroxyproline will also feed the uh, pathway. And then if you're deficient in B6, it will also, and I'll show you that graphic if you don't have it, but um, it's also, it'll also feed it. So it's if you're deficient in B6, you're taking too much collagen, um, exogenous collagen, um, too much vitamin C. And then if you have a gut issue in terms of excess fungus or candida, all of that will further feed the oxalate. So mm. it's just knowing the client or patient specifically in their past history to know if there's a risk of the high oxalate, it's very bio-individual, but yeah. it's very possible. What, what, what kind of stories of oxalate dumping symptoms have you heard from your? Uh, um, I'd say the major one is um, like urinary burning, um, sin- a lot of sinus issues. So a lot of, um, and then like skin irritation. So once they stop 
the oxalates, they start having dumping. And those are the three ones, but mood, unstable moods are really, really um, common too with um, high oxalates. Yeah, I've seen some, I think it's so interesting because it, it, it can, oxalates, uh, it's tricky since it's hard to measure. I mean, we measure it, but in some patients it's really, really high and it really explains all their symptoms. And in some, we know that they have uh, oxalate issue, but it's still normal values. You know, it's uh, it's a cyclic uh, thing. Yeah. It doesn't come out. Yeah, you uh, should talk to Sally Norton. So she, I interviewed her a long time ago, and she talked about that. How the um, she can almost time the, how the oxalates kind of come out of your system. And so, like you said, sometimes it's not going to show up. Um, but I have had many people do the um, organic acids test and it'll show if they're producing oxalates endogenously just within the body. And then if they're also consuming oxalates and I've seen the trends that will help me kind of see if, and then if they have like a high candida marker from um, like an arabinose marker from the, from that organic acids test, then it can kind of see, okay. And if you're B6 deficient, it's very normal that then they're probably producing a lot of oxalates. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I've heard about dumping symptoms in the form. I've seen pictures on, on mm -hmm. the skin with the really yes. red, red skin. Yes. I've heard about the urine uh, burning. I had sandy stools, like almost like sand. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's true. That's right. Uh, also just feeling horrible with vertigo and uh, just can't stand up almost. So, yeah, yeah so... <laughs> I think it's an extremely interesting thing with oxalate, and also with the studies with oxalates and autism. I think. Oh yeah. With that connection, it should really be looked into in much more depth than it has. Since I mean, autism is just it's. Uh, I, I think it's just scary the rates that we see autism. Nowadays. I agree. So I, I sent you the book, but in the book, there's a chart, there's like a correlation between basically when they have a lot of oxalates in their urine, as well as um, when if they're struggling with autism, there's a very high correlation. So mm -hmm. and a lot of them like they need to work on their gut. So all these fi um, five or six patients, they improve with carnivores. So what's your take? Like, do you think that it's a safer route, right? Would you kind of first use as a first defense of maybe just using the carnivore diet with some digestive support instead of using the antibiotics first? Like, what's your thoughts after? Yeah, as I said, I think it's an evolutionary sound. Uh, it's a sound way of just perhaps eating as humans did for a long time. Um, so, uh, I mean, there is... So, so it's in that sense, it's, it's just a way that everyone can try. But I'm also, when I talk about this in webinars and so on, I, I say that don't just try it without, if you don't really know what you're doing, because right. I mean, if you are on uh, medications for diabetes or hypertension and so on, and you just take away your carbs, you can lower your insulin very rapidly, you can lower your blood pressure, you uh, get too low blood pressure and too low blood sugar levels. So now it's, it can be um, dangerous in that way. And also you have to know about oxalate dumping. Yes. So, but if you, if you know about those things, I think this is 
diet change is less risky in general than what the medication yeah. is. Is I mean, if we use antimicrobials, and then I mean both antibiotics and herbal antimicrobials, we don't really know what we kill. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we kill things, things that aren't we're not supposed to kill. So, but I, I think uh, I actually. Uh, in in on this was on Twitter, but I asked Mark Pimentel, who is a SIBO researcher, to to look look into our small uh, preprint and uh, consider to do a larger study. He does a lot of SIBO oh, okay. studies, so I mean, eventually someone will do that. A larger study, uh, a prospective study, where you really do it the right way, and you and you. Uh, have all the patients go through carnivore. I think it will take it some time because it will take some time before we have um, nutritionists and and so on that can support such a, a study. Yeah. But if, I mean, most of your people, they know everything about uh, the different places. But I mean, if you look at the transformations at MeetRx, for example, the photos there, it's just if you haven't seen those, just go there and see if you believe in the carnivore stuff, carnivore diet or not. It's just amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, what are your thoughts about fiber? So one of the things that I always get from a lot of my clients is I get them on probiotics and then they'll ask me, well, don't we need prebiotics to feed our probiotics? Um, so what are your thoughts? Like if you do carnivore and, um, with SIBO and just healing in general, do you believe that we need the fibers or the prebiotics or the fermented veggies and all that stuff to support our microbiome? Like what's, where's your opinion on that after seeing all this healing? Mm, I mean, that's a complex question because all, all we know about the microbiome, it's well, uh, first, I think most smart people that I listen to, they are, they are agree on that we don't know what a normal or how a, a, a healthy microbiome should look for a certain person, even though there are lots of companies uh, telling us to eat A and B and C, depending on our stool tests. But no, I don't think we know what's a, a healthy microbiome. And uh, I, especially, I don't think we know what's a healthy microbiome on, dif on different diets. So of course we will change our microbiome by going carnivore, but is that uh, just per se unhealthy, the microbiome that we get from eating carnivore f for a short or a longer time? I don't know. I'm not saying that it's healthy, but uh, I don't think we know. And also there is, <clears throat> I think, a little bit growing evidence that you can feed bacteria in other ways than yeah. just by uh, plant fiber. It's kind of, we are talking more and more about animal fiber and that you can even ferment uh, amino acids instead of uh, uh, different carbs. Uh, and also um, good argument, I think, for not needing as much fiber, you know that. It's that um, you say that perhaps uh, Half of your colon, uh, large intestine, uh, is fed by butyrate from fiber that you eat. But if you're ketogenic, you have ketones in your blood that feed the colon 
and your large intestine from actually from the blood side <laughs> and not from the lumen, the inside of your intestines. So you can probably replace a lot of the food for your large intestine from ketones that because ketones is one of them is beta hydroxybutyrate you can even easily hear that they are very close to each other butyrate or beta hydroxybutyrate they are very close to each other and can easily be converted so beta hydroxybutyrate can be burnt in in the colon uh, yeah, as fuel. <laughs> do, do you agree? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. So I talk about in, in carnivore cure, I talk about how um, the most, um, I guess, dense amount of butyrate is actually formed from butter. And it's fr- it, both words are derived from the same word, butyrim from Latin. And then um, I talk about beta hydroxybutyrate from ketones as well. So I completely agree. And just clinically, I have seen from now I've seen over 200 patients or clients, none of them are eating plants. Now they may incorporate it over time as they heal because they choose to, but none of them need it to heal their gut. I've actually seen the opposite, you know, with the stool test. So I also do stool tests with my clients, but I always tell my clients that then put, you know, all their concerns on a test because there's other tests where it shows hey, I'm missing this diversity versus this diversity, right? They're all based on population studies, right? So it's like they get a bunch of healthy people and they're like, oh, we see a commonality in this strain. So therefore this strain must be a healthy strain. And then they do the opposite for like the sick strains, right? So, oh, there's a commonality with this sick one. And so therefore this strain must cause fat genes or whatever it is. And it's just um, what I've seen is that all my clients, they do take probiotics and they do find healing. For base probiotics, they will kind of cleave to whatever you're eating and use as a nutrient. And then they'll just be part of your microbiome. Like even with food tests, I don't trust everything that the results are because like you said, one, it's based on a standard population study. So it's not, it's on the standard American diet. How Maybe the new normal for a carnivore microbiome is different and that's okay, right? So I always tell my clients, as they're healing, and then let's say they take the test just to see, did I clear up with everything? And then they maybe see like one strain is lower. And they're like, well, I need to take that. And I've actually had a client then start taking lactobacillus because it was low. And then they felt worse after taking it. So they're like, forget it, I'm not going to take that anymore, even though um, based on standard testing, she was low in that. And that was the one thing missing for her microbiome to look perfect. But then as soon as she took it, she just felt bad and it had inulin, which is a prebiotic fiber. And I was like, Mm. maybe, maybe you don't need it. Right. And, and she stopped taking it and now she feels fine. So Mm. it's these things that I think are so new. I get clients all the time that are like, um, I got tested for food sensitivities and I cannot eat turkey or I cannot eat eggs. And I'm like, but are you sure you can't eat eggs? Like, have you done the whole test by yourself? Like, have you tested your pulse? Have you you know, slowly reintroduce it and has your body shown any type of reaction? And they're like, no. And it's like, then how do you know you're really, it's... I, I agree with the food intolerance test that, that they can be good directing you or towards, as I, the patient I mentioned earlier that I met today, she had a high uh, IgG against yeah. uh, dairy protein. And that was good to, for her to see because that can get a, uh, her motivation up to try to 
to try to avoid it for a month right. or so yeah. and see and do 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 the test on herself but you can't just uh, go by the test results you right. have to go by your <laughs> yourself and how you feel but i also want to if we now are getting soon to an end here in this uh, lovely talk i i just want to tell everyone that might be skeptical about this diet and it sounds really weird and uh, no and what will happen with the climate change if we all start eating uh, cows and all that i think um really everyone need to take a step back and try to open their mind and really see what have we been told since uh, 1980 or something we got nutrition advice then and what happened at 1980 we got an obesity epidemic mm -hmm. that's uh, just erasing a lot of health and a lot of lives so i am after studying this now for uh, about 10 years or so and uh, nutrition and so on I'm just convinced that we haven't been told the truth. And then we have to take a long step back and really try to get a new overview of this field of nutrition. And when you do that, by listening, for example, to Nina Teicholz, and, uh, who wrote The Big Fat Surprise, and many other people, uh, Gary Taubes and others, you, you easily understand that Hmm. There is something fishy here. There is something that we uh, we we that wasn't right with all this information, and it's ongoing. So we we have to reevaluate. Re we have to try new new avenues, and not be religious about uh, food and diet. And uh, and of course, we need much more research. Uh, so that I'm very happy to that we and uh, Martina Johansson and Annelie Ek and myself who wrote this paper have been able to con contribute in just a little tiny way to this and we there will be more to come for sure. It's exciting right to we know that we have taken on this diet and feel so much better and there's no real there's no studies out there that are saying the carnivore diet is a legitimate diet that can actually show healing. And I've seen it in my practice, like time and time again, with a lot of people that have had ulcerative colitis, SIBO, C. diff. C. diff is a really, really hard disease or pathogen to, you know, eradicate. Um, but SIBO, Candida, all of these pathogens, they're able to, in my practice, I've seen people heal from it. And they use a primarily just a carnivore based diet with a little bit of like vitamins, right? Um, and, and they get better. And they just and yes, some people take a little bit longer. But in general, it's far more effective and safer. There's a lot of gut healing that can come of it. And like you talked about how most of our nu nutrients are absorbed in the small intestine, our immune system, if we don't have gut health, we really don't have health. And it really stems from that. Mm, it stems from that. I agree. <laughs> Well, you know, where can people find your practice? Um, if you could tell us a little bit more about like, if people want to get in touch with you or, you know, learn more about your, um, your practice. Yeah, I, uh, we are, of course, operating in Sweden uh, now, and we are looking to actually move functional medicine down further out in Europe. Uh, 
Uh, and the way we do that is not by bringing Swedish doctors to Europe, but, but to build um, an IT platform to handle all this data that we use in functional medicine. So we are working hard on that now, but uh, we are at funmed.se, funmed.se, SE is for Sweden. Uh, it's a, it's in Swedish uh, now, but we we will eventually, perhaps in a few months or so, have a, an even an English site. Then I'm also running health and functional medicine. It's a, also health och funktionsmedicin in Swedish. It's a magazine. It might be the only functional medicine magazine in the world. But oh wow, that's <laughs> awesome. it, We actually had a, a, an issue uh, dedicated to carnivore uh, oh. last year. Yeah, we did. It's but it's also in Swedish, so it's not for you, I guess. And then we also run functional medicine health care training, and that's a six-month uh, training course which is online. Uh, so we have educated more than hundred licensed uh, doctors and nurses and so on in Sweden over the past three years, and we continue to do that. So we're. Our main goal, all our uh, hours uh, on the job is um, at work is is to try to spread functional medicine right. because that is what I feel the the people and society needs. I agree. Uh, thank you so much for even you know considering carnivore as part of this option in functional medicine. I think it's so important. Um, I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing because it just will spread the message more for real healing. And I mean, that's what we ultimately all want for our clients and patients, right? So, yeah, and I really hope that the COVID, COVID the COVID pandemic is calming down, so we can start uh, having functional medicine conferences, nutritional conferences, and I, I love come visit you in. In yeah. the U.S. and and talk more about this live. <laughs> yes, yes, that would be very exciting. And I've met wonderful people at conferences, so I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I will put all your information in the show notes, and um, you know, I'm excited for people to read your preprint, and then hopefully it'll get published soon. So, thank you, thank you again for um, spending your time and talking with me. Thank you, Judy. Okay, guys, I hope that this show has been really insightful for you. I hope it just further validates that carnivore or a meat-based diet can be a very healing one. I hope it also shows you that sometimes you may just need a little bit of supplementation to help you get on your way to optimal healing. Okay, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies 
with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.